When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you talk to our customers, because we are very intentional in the programs and the schools that we support in ensuring that we understand the outcomes of these programs and how the students are going to do, so we can first ensure the ability to pay. And then lastly, because this is not your typical transactional bank relationship, but one that is really rooted in opportunity, there's this inherent desire from the student to repay the loan because they know that the access that it gave them and they don't really want to mess it up for the next guy. My first proper job, so excluding the strange ones I took on for beer money in my student days, some of which were strange, like really strange, like accidentally helping to advertise an escort agency's Valentine's Day special, strange. But no, excluding those. My first job was in a joint venture Capital One had started with a South African bank. My assigned role was to act as the understudy of Ryan Steele, a young rising star who was building the bank's first ever properly data-driven fraud defences on the Amex portfolio. And I learned a lot from Ryan. So I was a little disappointed when, a couple of years later, he up sticks and headed to Paris to do his MBA at INSEAD. It turns out, though, that he wasn't just a rising star in the world of South African banking. While at INSEAD, he joined two classmates, Cameron Stevens and Miha Zerko, to found Prodigy Finance, a specialist peer-to-peer financing vehicle where INSEAD alumni could fund loans to future INSEAD students using their enhanced future earning prospects as collateral, essentially. Prodigy has grown tremendously from those early days, and Ryan has left now for new challenges. But the idea of lending against the future value unlocked by a top-class education is one that has always intrigued me. So today I'm speaking to Joel Frisch, Head of Global Acquisition at Prodigy Finance, to find out more. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Thanks for having me, Brennan. Thrilled to be on the show and and love talking about how strangers can lend money to folks all around the world. Always particularly interesting for us because I think we are lending to folks who others wouldn't really consider as a core borrower component for them. My background prior to Prodigy Finance started very traditionally on, on Wall Street after working in a variety of sales and trading roles, working a little bit in our private wealth, private banking space actually took a little bit of a, of a right turn and went and built a, a software company in the employee management space. I think it really gave me a little bit more perspective on appreciating user experience, which added to some of my prior skill sets. And, and actually, it was building that company that I got connected with the concept of providing financing for the underserved. We had been building out our, our engineering team and had actually hired two recent grads of universities in Philadelphia area, Penn and Drexel. And these two individuals happen to be international students. And so they themselves had found 
big challenges in how they were going to fund their studies. As one individual had come from India and the other individual had come from Nigeria. And in talking to these two guys, came to find out the either extremely egregious terms that they had entered into on the funding or what they had gone through as far as begging begging others to co-sign for them. And and I just found it to be fascinating because I, I saw the talent level of these individuals. I knew what their future potential was, even just with our company. And I, I realized that someone had to have been trying to solve this problem. At the time, this was just when a lot of lenders and neo providers in the US were popping up to give folks alternatives, but I really didn't find anybody on an international level until I came across a young nascent brand in Prodigy Finance based in the UK with the big presence in uh, South Africa because our founder, Cameron Stevens, is South African and just reached out to understand what they were doing and came to learn that Cameron Stevens, who had attended INSEAD and himself encountered some challenges with putting together how he was going to pay for school and, and has that classic story of going to the bank and saying, hey, you know, will you help me with a loan for school? And they said, sure, no problem. Go ahead and put the same amount of money into the bank as collateral and we'll give you a loan based on that. And he's like, well, if I had that money, I wouldn't be coming to the bank for, for help with financing. And then once he ultimately got to school the following year, found that not only was his story pretty common amongst others, but there, there was a considerable amount of students who had applied to school that actually couldn't even consider attending because they didn't have an ability to put the funding together. And so it, it really just resonated with me and what they were trying to do at the time. They were just supporting a few European business schools and really trying to prove out the model. And so I jumped at the chance to help them. And this is back in late 2014, early 2015. And from those early days of helping a handful of top European business schools, we have now expanded to support over 850 schools globally, large concentrations of schools in Western Europe, Canada, and the US. We support postgraduate programs primarily across business, engineering, science, health sciences, law, and policy, and provide students with, with access to over 4,000 courses. These are going to be anything from you know a one-year, one-and-a-half-year, two-year postgraduate or master's degree where they're really using the program as a stepping stone to either make a pivot in their career for access in toward a greater role in their field. And uh, it's, it's been an incredible journey as we've been able to support about 25,000 students and have lent out over you know $1.3 billion. I think we're just getting started. You know, if I think back to my economics classes at university, when we looked at the government scale, we'd talk about if you build new roads, you know, you're going to borrow now and pay it back in the future, but in the future, you're going to be earning money off those. So that's good borrowing. And if you're going to borrow for consumption, you know, that was not great borrowing. Maybe at best, it was neutral, depending on the project. And if we scale that down to the consumer side, you know, mortgage helps people build wealth, but often it's questionable about whether it's valuable to borrow for certain types of quick consumption. And student loans had sat in the middle, in general, a positive thing, but depending on what the quality of the course, the quality of the school, there were certainly people that were getting caught up with big student debt and actually not really having an upside to that. But what you're doing with top quality schools, top quality students, you have to stand behind that that education is adding value to their future. Because if they're coming from, and I saw 80% of your loans or they're about going to consumers in developing markets, if you're giving them a loan that covers a Ivy League postgraduate degree, unless that really does add value to their lives, unless it really does give them that pivot, your loan's at risk. So you really do have to stand behind 
the student loan as a tool for wealth production or at least life change production. It's not always going to be chasing money, but unless this really is the right thing for the student, it's not the right thing for you either. And I think that by by uh, providing loans based on an individual's assessment of future potential, it, it creates that natural regulator in it. Because as I look at the U.S. market, which you could argue is one of the most mature student lending markets, that actually those those loans are not really based on the individual because you have government-backed loans, which is basically the government co-signing on behalf of the student, or you have a lot of parental loans, which is the parent signing. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's been ripe for abuse. And you have a lot of scenarios of, of individuals borrowing when it may not have been the best decision for them in the long run and, and over-borrowing. Obviously, we, we are responsible lenders, and it's, it's a key component to our model to ensure that we are providing students up to a level that they can afford to repay based on how we've seen others who attend those courses get job placement and, and their incomes afterwards. But just the idea of actually looking at the individual on their own and not including collateral and not including co-signers really starts to lean more towards that kind of positive lending that you're talking about. Yeah, and it's hard to overemphasize how life-changing it can be to get into one of these universities especially to the 80% of your customers who come from emerging markets. It's a little bit cheesy to say, I guess, but, you know, you're now saying we believe in you and here's a route to achieve your full potential. So, of course, we're not saying that suddenly everybody can go to Harvard or to MIT or to Yale, but you're putting these highly talented students from around the world on the same footing as an American student, where even if their family couldn't afford the tuition, there would have been funding opportunities available to them. And in the past, their situations would have held them back. It would be impossible for many talented people just to afford that outlay, that investment in themselves. And that's what you're freeing up. I agree. And I, I think the reality is that there are five and a half million international students in the world. There are one and a half million postgraduate international students in the world. But there is a huge component of the population that is not even considering trying to go for higher ed because they don't think that there's any way that they could actually afford to pay for it. And I think that one of the challenges in lending money to strangers, if you will, is educating the market that there is access to this type of finance. And so I think for us, particularly, when I think about the the impact that we're having, absolutely to your point, you know, the majority over 80% of our customers are coming from emerging markets all over the world. But I still think we are just scratching the surface in educating the market that there isn't even an option out there for you. And so even kind of embarking on this journey for higher education and depending on the country and the culture, some of that comes down to educating the students. Some of it comes down to educating parents and families. Some of that can be accomplished through working with undergraduate local schools within these countries partners and, and you know platforms that these students are already engaging with w- within their home country. That's the big focus is how do you really spread the word so that an individual who is sitting in their room in the middle of Lima can think about like, hey, you know what, I am going to try to go study abroad because like if I can get in, then there, then there are people who can help me get to school. Yeah, I think the sort of the downside of, of funding such a big idea yeah, I'm going to go and study at Harvard or MIT. It's such an audacious concept that that people don't even think about looking at, is there a student loan? You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. Let's get back to the show. 
you have this very high quality group of borrowers. You could call them prime. Some would argue they're even super prime when you're looking at their placement post-school. And they're stuck in the middle because you have home banks who are very risk averse to give loans to an individual to leave the country. And you have host country or you know the school country banks who don't really have a model to assess new residents with no credit. I mean, you know, you've, you've had some incredible guests on the show of, of other companies like Nova Credit who are trying to help banks look at this, but there really isn't an established framework for like, how do you assess Brendan who just showed up so that they haven't proven themselves yet, but we know that once they do, they're going to be incredible borrowers. I think there's also just a logistical headache where, well, where's your student visa? Because I can't give you a loan until I see your student visa but I can't get a student visa until I'm accepted and I won't be accepted until I've paid and I can't pay until I get the student loan. So you get that Kafkaesque runaround. Most lenders are just going to say, it's not worth it. You know, for me, I get two a year to apply and all the things I have to do, I think a lender would just say it's not worth my trouble. Whereas when you take it from the approach of let's find a solution for these individuals and build a global business, which I think is also worth maybe diving in here. I was working in collections ages ago. At the time, we even struggled to do collections using outsourced call centers because as soon as a customer heard an accent and thought, well, this call center person who's phoning me to collect the money is abroad, collection rates drop. Come and fetch it. I've got the money here on my table at home. Come and fetch it. Even though the bank and the borrower were both in the same country, because they heard that the person phoning them was outside, they wouldn't really be bothered. Now, you've got the real problem that you're in one country, your borrower might be in a second country, and they might be studying in a third country. How do you approach those logistics that you keep an entirely global view? We have students coming from about 125 countries. And so with regard to things like document verification, there are certainly challenges that we've had to go through and ensure that we can review the the appropriate documents. I think that some of that has gotten easier over the years, being able to tie in directly with things like credit bureaus, you know, working with vendors and solutions who can do things like document checks, bank statement reviews. But there still is iterative process of making sure that we can do that for all of the countries of origin. With regard to like the disbursement of the loan, so we disperse all of our loans directly to the schools, which does simplify things a bit in that we're not having money run all over the world. Obviously gives gives surety to our investors that the money is is being used for education, is being sent to the schools. Our loans could be a combination of tuition and living uh, costs, but all of that is sent to the schools. Particularly schools in the U.S. have a very established process for receiving funds up to cost of attendance and then crediting back to the student for a surplus above tuition that the student can use for living expenses. Now, once once the student uh, has graduated and you know comes up on repayment, which is six months after graduation, our servicing of the loan is a combination, yes, of service in the U.S., but depending on where the student is living, primarily service out of the U.K. And we've done a couple things. So we have certainly spent a lot of time building a global enforcement model uh, that takes advantage of some legal arrangements between countries to uphold decisions and enforcement. But I also think it starts to come down to a few key components of our model. Number one is the creditworthiness of our customer. We are very intentional in the programs and the schools that we support in ensuring that we understand the outcomes of these programs and how the students are going to do. 
so that we can first ensure the ability to pay, right? Because if you think about repayment, you're talking about ability and desire. So I think for us, first is that screening on ability. The second is looking through on that concept of desire. We, we have built a pretty robust probability of default model that we do implement in the beginning of our in the beginning of our application process that can give us a real sturdy risk screening. We have a predictive scorecard that we've built over the last 14 years. That's a combination of internal, external data, repayment data from all the various vintages since 2007 that allows us to identify what are the most impactful variables of a student's application as far as where they're going to, the type of program, how other students have done. And then lastly, there's certainly a bit of social pressure built into our model. And it's really natural. It's it's not necessarily something that, that we've created. But I think when you talk to our customers, because this really is a pretty unique relationship that they have with us, this is not your typical transactional bank relationship, but one that is really rooted in opportunity. There's this inherent desire from the student to repay the loan because they know that the access that it gave them and they don't really want to mess it up for the next guy. We have incredible organic growth every year. And that's because our borrowers share their experience with the future students. And if if you go into many of the countries and cultures that we support, there's a very strong connection to to their seniors or their elders. And And that's where lots of aspiring students or what we call kind of explorers are looking to get information. And so because it's this very tight community, this idea of the importance of repaying your loan really does help drive a lot of that behavior. I went back and looked at some of the early discussions, and it seems like the initial model of Prodigy was built around this idea of INSEAD alumni funding future INSEAD students, where it had that helping hand ethos built right into it. And you've expanded, obviously, now 850 schools, so well beyond INSEAD. But it's good to hear that that ethos is built in, and I guess to some extent it's a natural part of the alumni process, some of it's self-serving in that you know, your career is only as good as your reputation, so it is built in to that as well. But there is, beyond just that, that is still a core part of the prodigy mindset and model, that it is still about helping the next person follow your path to success. Firstly, to your point of it being a community, we absolutely embrace that. That's how we identify our new customers and, and kind of how we approach our existing customers. And then I I do think that it is a very mission-oriented business. And I I think if you talk to any of the team members or employees that we have at Prodigy, that's what drives them. Yes, we are trying to build a borderless credit platform, but the key is that it's, it's unleashing this emerging potential all over the globe just by providing this access to the power of education. I mean, you talked about it before. The hardest part is that individual who's trying to get into that top school, who's trying to get into that program for computer science or you know, marine biology because of what they want to do and bring to the world and their communities. We're just trying to act as a catalyst, a connector to actually make that happen. And I think that's been validated in the market by looking at some of the folks who have participated alongside us. If you, if you look at, you know, impact investors who have, have joined, we've done some work over the years with large banks, impact investors, developmental financial institutions, big monumental transaction for us. Uh, with the U.S.'s Developmental Financial Institution, which is called the DFC, and even more recently looking at large-scale asset managers that do care about impact, like the Canadian Pension Plan, which which just joined us recently, that everyone that we're trying to surround Prodigy really understands the mission of the business and sees that this is quite an interesting product that, of course, offers a financial return, but really offers impact. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The product really fits it, as we said at the start, but it's grown from, you know, a fairly idealistic model to this massive business. And it's great to see that that is still inherent. You know, I think many MBA projects that get this big can lose sight, you know, once it gets the funding and you could scale it up to do every university and every course in the world. And you would lose that link about really, could somebody pay this back or could they pay it back comfortably after doing this course? And it almost feels to me that is a spin-off business, and I don't know if you monitor it, but you must have some of the best data on actual school impacts and course impacts. I know when I did my MBA, they used to, in their marketing, talk about the average increase in salary, but it was based on a little survey they sent to each of us by email that said, what did you earn before and what did you earn after? And I'm sure it's helpful, but it was so vague, whereas you've got to get some skin in the game there to actually is this adding value beyond the the tuition fee. You know, it's something we talk about all the time of of the true ROI of programs. I think that there's probably kind of a sensitive crossover point of why students are going for education and and we don't want to just be guiding students just towards the highest ROI, but I do think there's an opportunity for us to create our own benchmark of saying like hey, th- these are really the best programs that you should be looking at if you're interested in, you know, civil engineering to help guide students so that it's it's in their best interest. So obviously baked into the product is this idea that you're helping somebody get from country A, usually a developing country, into country B, usually a developed country. And that's sort of the core part of the business. We've just been through, call it two years now, of COVID lockdowns when particularly getting from a developing country into a developed country would have been really difficult. Do you want to talk about what you saw happening in the COVID, sort of the worst of the COVID lockdown years, and what you're seeing now, how's that education market changed for international students? Yeah, so as as March 2020 came upon us, uh, I think being at the intersection of global mobility and credit markets is probably the last place that anyone would want to wish upon their neighbor. And and I think that was really the big question for us is what, what was going to happen to students? Were, were they still going to attend school? Were they going to try to attend school? What was going to happen to kind of higher education? And then, you know, what was going to happen to global credit markets? After an initial pause, just of uncertainty, I think what you saw is a few things. One, we saw extreme resilience in our students of doing whatever it took to start their programs. You've got the sort of person you're after and you're going to say, I'm going to take a big bet on this person's talent being able to shine. That's the sort of person who's going to be able to find a way to survive is going to find a way to make it work. And maybe it's going to take them a year longer now. 
to get it all together. But because you're spending all this time actually looking for high quality people, you get high quality people. And that means they're, they're good even when, when the times are bad. You're saying person I'm lending to is the asset. They are the security uh, as much as any kind of financial asset. And it's you know, proving itself through well a long history now, including some very tricky times. I think the schools were incredible as far as how they tried to be flexible with students, allowing them to start online and then you know matriculate into on-campus programs, whether that was like a one term later. Uh, we saw a lot of schools allowing students to defer. One of the interesting outcomes of that is that last January, so January 2021, we saw this incredible growth of January start programs, which you didn't typically see. And if you fast forward a year, we've seen about 85% of those have stayed. So I think that's that's one of the big outcomes we've seen on the school side is that you typically think of schools starting in, in the nor- Northern Hemisphere, starting in kind of August, September, and kind of running through May. We're starting to see a real big second cycle, this January start, that I do think is here to stay. With, with regard to the credit markets, I, I think you know everyone around the world saw that slow down. And I think we were also affected in the same way of but I think as we came out of it, we looked at ourselves even stronger than we were before. And I think that was culminated in us having a very successful first of its kind ABS deal or you know, asset-backed security deal tied to our international student loans of about $300 million, heavily oversubscribed, that was tied in with uh, social bond principles, uh, as well as the, the UN SDGs, which really sets the stage for the future because it, it shows that this is an asset class that investors have interest in, that they that they do understand. And I think it's going to help Prodigy as far as, as accessing additional channels of capital. And I also think it's going to just help international students in general, because it's it's going to set the tone that, like we talked about a few minutes earlier, that, that these are the same high quality students. And even though they're coming from another country and coming here, or they're coming from a developing country going to a developed country, that the profile really is the same. And so that was, that was a huge outcome coming out of a very tough time. The one obvious move that you might have seen in the headlines or people might have been speculating on as travel became impossible and as people started doing virtual courses was perhaps is this the new approach to these top quality degrees? Are we going to see more Harvard MBA run fully online? And will that change the need for people to migrate into the States? But it seems from what you're saying there that there's even more Younger than ever before to get there, to get onto campus, to network with other students. Is that what you're seeing? That still the, the the hunger is really to to get there in person if possible. Yeah, look, I think the demand for high quality programs is, is absolutely still there for a few reasons. One, because these are very high quality, well established brands. The second thing is that they are very well established networks that do provide a lot of assistance to students as far as placement post graduation, which is which is something that students are very interested in. So I think the uh, resurgence of demand to get to campus uh, is absolutely there. I, I do think that that coming out of uh, an experience like COVID, it has accelerated schools' plans for offering their programs in a variety of mediums and formats of hybrid programs that could be on campus, off campus. I think the idea of full online or full remote programs is still being worked on. It's definitely an area that we're looking at. Uh, we're also looking at programs where you know, students are doing their first year remote and then getting to campus the second year, which if you think about for an international student may end up being the best combination of, you know, expense utilization that, you know, the first year is a little less expensive and then they get to to campus the second year and get access to that network. We are very interested in in looking at the fully online space. 
both in traditional and technical or vocational schools. Some of the you know boot camp platforms, as an example, that have started really are showing great results for how you know some concentrated uh, jolts of education can really help change someone's trajectory. And I think for us, it, it just comes down to really understanding those outcomes. Then I think we're going to be very comfortable entering into that space. And then obviously working through any of the legal or regulatory requirements, because it does change it a little bit if the borrower is, is, is not leaving their country. Yeah, if you're willing to take the bet on this person because of their talent, it stands to reason that they would want to be surrounded by the other people who make that same cut. And I think that's where the online degrees are going to struggle the most. I've done an online master's through an American university. It was a very good course. Uh, I got a lot out of it individually. But because you would move through a modular type approach, so your first course might be somebody else's 10th course. You saw some people, they, they were on the same sort of trajectory as you, and you got a bit closer to two or three people. But it's just not the same as sitting after class and having a drink or seeing the same person in class from day one to two years later. And part of the reason you want to go to Harvard is because of the other people qualified to get into Harvard. But as you said, there are other types of courses and there's other short courses when I think online is a, is a great alternative. So in terms of Prodigy's growth and next steps, where do you see that going? Do you explore new markets for new schools to send people to, new markets to capture students from? Or is it about looking at other business lines? I think first strategically is we are absolutely committed to being a provider of education loans. I think we, we also look across the macro environment and see the growth of the population. So if I said before that we have about 5 million international students studying abroad, looking at estimates of, of that growing to about 8 million students across the next kind of 10, 15 years based on growth of middle class and the expected movement into tertiary education. That is super exciting as, as you see that access. And we certainly see that on regional levels, you know, China and, and some parts of, of Latin America that, you know, students away from big cities are, are looking to study abroad. We are certainly looking to expand our support of uh, host countries. Uh, so as I mentioned before, a majority of our students are headed to the U.S. with a good amount going to Canada and Europe. Lots of opportunities for us to expand within Canada, lots of opportunities to expand within countries like the UK, France, Germany. Uh, we are going to be uh, looking to expand in a country like Australia, which is a huge destination for international students all over the world, but particularly students coming from Southeast Asia. I also think that there's, there's an opportunity for us to focus on really understanding where the student demand is headed. And so being intimately aware of where students from Mexico who are looking to study abroad are going and making sure that, that we are there and we're supporting those programs. But th those will really be the main drivers. And then I think, like we were saying a little bit earlier, of, of looking at slightly different formats of the programs. So as the world continues to offer more connectivity online, how can we be aligning with schools to go after those programs? So a lot of room to run, even in this you know, near-term strategy. Yeah, well, good luck for that. As I said right at the start, I really like these business models where the lending is clearly for an investment. Yeah, often that investment is a physical investment like a mortgage, but yeah, a human investment, I think, is an even clearer benefit for society. So I look forward to seeing how big Prodigy can grow. And thank you again for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. And not just to this episode, but to the first season of How to Lend Money to Strangers, which will wrap up next week. I like to think the show has grown a lot already, but I have some interviews lined up that'll take season two to a whole new level. 
Make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss it. And if this topic was of particular interest to you, I spoke to Craig Smith, founder of Just Lend in episode 9, discussing how borrowing from friends and family could be another route to funding these sorts of studies. And in episode 11, I spoke to Misha Esipov, co-founder of Nova Credit, about how they're helping immigrants to borrow once they've already landed in the US. You may find those interesting too. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written, hosted and edited by myself, Brendan LaGrange, and recorded outside the actually not that rainy city of Maidstone, England. The theme tune and show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes, written transcripts, more in-depth articles, and details on how to book me for speaking engagements at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. I'll see you again next Thursday. Hi, it's me again. Just in case you've had your full of lending talk, did you know that I've also published two pulpy action-adventure thrillers? Draken and Butterfly Hill are both available as ebooks, paperbacks, and audiobooks from Amazon and other online retailers. They're not Shakespeare, but they're not expensive either. And BestThrillers.com called Butterfly Hill an exotic, utterly captivating heist novel featuring one of the genre's most entertaining detectives. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.